0: I think they had a good time in Senegal, West Africa, and we really appreciate your encouragement and support, and the things that God did was phenomenal. So thank you for supporting and encouraging them in that. There's a lot going on. If you've been here for the last couple of weeks and have not filled out a Connect card, would you please do that? Not only just simply so that we get some information about you, we want to help you in any way we can to Connect. It's hard in a large church to get connected, and we want to be able to do that well. So you go out that center door to the left with that card. And they've got something for you. Ten minutes after the service is over this morning is family experience. Great opportunity as a family to grow. Family fun night is this Tuesday night. Today's the last day to sign up for that. Been here over the last few weeks. Want to know what some of the next steps are? Starting point. That's in your bulletin. We need you to sign up for it. It's next Sunday. Premarital class. If you're in a serious relationship, want to know what it entails to have one that lasts for a lifetime, that's the 15th. Man camp the 20 and 21. You do not want to miss that if you're a guy or a son over 13. I guarantee you, you will have a blast. Last night was our 38th annual venison dinner, and you had to see it to believe it. Two of my favorite shots are the before and after, when it fills up with 900 plus men and boys and some ladies who come together. They... Fed 900 plus in less than 20 minutes. I have no idea how they do it. It was an absolute record this year. Gary said the cleanup crew. And I think there's still some venison somewhere if you're looking for something for lunch today. Just, just so you know, I felt so safe last night. There were more guns here last night than Cabela's. I didn't even want to ask who's carrying a weapon. I did not want to know. And I kept praising God, don't do anything stupid from anybody outside because you won't make it in the front door. It was unbelievable last night. We had a great speaker from uh, Duck Dynasty. We had 17 decisions, first time for Christ, which is why we do what we do. And 76 recommitted their lives to Jesus last night. It was really clear presentation. On all of that, so we deeply appreciate that. Now, I, I do understand there was one other event going on last night that you had to decide which one of the two are you going to go to, but I think if you see this picture on the screen, they did a First time in 29 years, so congratulations, Matt, and those guys, I understand they did an incredible job, so it's a great opportunity. I do want to thank you for your encouragement from last Sunday morning's announcement about our retiring a year from today, and I deeply appreciate all the uh, cards, the notes, and the emails that I got from two of you, so thank you for doing them. <laughs> Just kidding. I did, get, I did get a few, so thank you very much for that. Got a question for you. You have sermon notes in your bulletin this morning. Do you all remember this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you said you want to be a fireman? I want to be a police officer. I wanted to be a cowboy. I'm curious. How many of you are what you said you wanted to be when you grow up? Really? Only a few of you. How many of you are what you said you wanted to be when you grow up? I mean, I get it. We have all kinds of things we want to do. But a lot of us have those things in our mind that we want to be when we grow up. As a parent, you look at that little one and you wonder, what are they going to be? You have thoughts, you have desires, you have plans, you have encouragement. You tell them what you wish they would be. You have potential to be this, and you kind of fill in the blank somewhere along the way. But as a parent, you have all kinds of ideas as to what you want that little one to be. And then you watch them grow up, and when they become what you really believe God has designed for them, it's incredible. Every time I do a baby dedication and I hold that little one in my hands, I recognize that I'm praying over the baby, but I'm really praying for the parents. As they go through this journey, John did a great job last night of talking to dads. One of the things he said is lighten up. Let them have fun. Remember what it was like when you were a kid. Remember what it was like when you went through that process. God has some very clear plans for us as well things he wants us to be as his children. I remember that I was all kinds of things that I wanted to be when I grew up. One of them was be a cowboy. I wanted to change my name to Roy. My horse was named Trigger. You can figure out who that is along the way. And then somewhere in fourth grade, the teacher said to us, who was a neighbor of ours, who was one of the most incredible teachers I've ever had in all my years of learning, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a missionary. I didn't even know exactly what one did but i read this whole article about i want to be a missionary 2 years later i came to faith in christ and then i found out as i joined the christian and missionary alliance church in that process that oh that's what they do that's who they are that's what they get to do and as i looked at my life and looked back over my life and i still remember that to this day seeing the surprise on her face do you want to be a missionary and then seeing where god has taken me and what i've been able to do these last 50-some years from that particular point, it's incredible. God has some pretty clear designs for you and I as to what he wants us to be. He spells a little bit of that out in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible this morning, take it out, turn to that, Ephesians chapter 4. He's going to use some of us. He's going to use a lot of us in this process. Apostles, preachers, teachers, pastors, evangelists. And it's not just those who stand in this pulpit. It's not just those who go overseas as missionaries. He's going to use a lot of people to help you become what he has designed you to be. I'm just blessed to have been able to do that in the lives of so many people through all of these years. In Ephesians chapter 4, God clearly lays out for us what he wants us to be. So Christ, knowing what his goal was, knowing what he wanted from us, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to do what? To equip his people for ministry, for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all, not just a few of us, not just the select, not just the smart ones, not just the spiritual ones, he wants how many of us to grow up into spiritual maturity? What does it say? Any of you left out? Does that leave any of you out? Not a bit. He wants every single one of us to grow up into spiritual maturity so that we all reach the unity and faith and the knowledge of His Son of God and become what? Mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ so that we no longer are infants tossed to and fro by the waves of doctrine or theology or whatever you may have come from blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, want to speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, Christ, who is the head, that is Jesus. So do you see what God wants you to be when you grow up? What is it? A fully mature follower of Christ. One who has continued on this journey. One who continues every day to be like Jesus. Now he's not saying that you're going to be a God. You will never be a God. Your wife may think you're a God. You may think, I'm a God. You're not. And if she tells you that, she's not telling you the truth. Maybe in your own mind you think, but you're not. God does not want us to be a God. He wants us to be godly. He wants us to be godly. He wants us to develop His character. He wants us, followers of Jesus, to think like He thinks. To act the way he acts. To respond to people and circumstances and situations and evil the way he does. He wants us to understand what he values. He wants us to make us like himself, to be like Jesus. God wants us in Ephesians chapter 4 to grow up in everything like Christ. So what does it mean to be like Jesus? Well, babies are cute, but you never want them to stay. Any uh, there's, Puppies are really cute. But they all grow up to be, little kittens are cute. Everybody wants a little kitten or a little puppy to stay what they are. I don't know anybody that wants the babies to stay that way. We we want them to grow up and mature. We don't want to change diapers for the rest of our lives. We want them to grow up and mature. We want them to be what God designed them to be. God wants us to develop and mature. Now, unfortunately, I think it's in your sermon notes, some people grow older but never grow up. Did you notice that? Have you ever noticed there's a difference between age and maturity? Now some people say that about me, so I get that. (laughs) But there is a vast difference between age and maturity. The longer you and I are on this planet, the more mature we should be. So that we respond to life better. We respond to circumstances better. We respond to people better. We respond to difficulty better. The longer we're on this earth, the more mature we should be. The longer you're walking with Jesus, whether you accepted Jesus when you were five or 50, the longer you're on that journey with Jesus, the more mature in that process you should become. So when you look back over your last five years in your spiritual journey, you ought to see some very significant steps that you've taken to become more and more like Christ because that's his ultimate goal for you and I as followers of Jesus. Not just for those of us on the platform, not just for those of us who preach, not for those of us who teach or lead a ministry. His ultimate desire for all of us are to become like Christ. So the longer you're on that journey, the more like him you should be becoming. So if you're wondering where you're at, ask your mate. Ask your friends. Ask some people around you that know you best. I mean, have the courage to go home today and say, hey, I've been following Jesus for the last five years. How am I doing? Is it looking better? Am I, am, I, am I less? And then whatever that may have been that you know you struggled with, am I getting? And then answer that question. Be really, really honest about that. So what does material, spiritual maturity look like? Well, take a good look at Jesus, <laughs> and you're going to find out. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. process called discipleship takes an entire lifetime. It's going to take the rest of your life to allow God to build character into your life So that we develop the qualities of Jesus. But it's God's greatest desire for you and I. It is God's greatest desire for you and I. So what are some of the ways that he does that? There are a dozen of them. I'm going to talk about three or four this morning. All right? Some of the ways that he does that. Number one, he does that with his word. He does that with his word. He does that with the Bible. It takes truth to transform us. And truth is found here. In the word of God. Which makes an assumption? What is the assumption? i got to be in it. I've got to read it. I've got to understand it. I've got to spend time with it. The more you're in it, the more you'll grow in your faith. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen because you know where your Bible is. It doesn't happen because you've got a really good one sitting on the counter somewhere. On your coffee table somewhere. Or you bring it to church and put it under your arm. And take it home when you get there. It doesn't happen when you just read the verses on the screen. Please, I'm not, don't misunderstand us, okay? How many of you actually have a Bible in your hand this morning? All right, 10% of us, which is okay because we're gonna have it on the screen. But I hope it's more than just what you see on the screen when it comes to understanding the word of God, that you spend time in the word of God. Whether you care to church is not necessarily the issue because we're gonna have Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one at home, take that one with you. I'll even sign it for you. Take it with you. We want you to have the Word of God with you. But it's more than just sin. <laughs> I was just a dumb statement, wasn't I? <laughs> I have one a month. Somebody will say something about a good idea. I said I come up with one every other month. You've got to be in the Word of God. The more you read it, the more you study it, the more you memorize it, the more you meditate on it, the more you think about it, the more you apply it to your life, the more it transforms your life. But there's a huge assumption in that. And that is what? That I'm in it. That I'm in it. You remember a couple weeks ago when we asked you, or a few weeks ago, we asked you, what do you want to know about some of the questions of life in regards to witnessing or sharing your faith? And we got a lot of them. Some of them were just questions they were curious about. Maybe it didn't have anything to do with sharing the faith, but they were really curious about. You know a lot of the answers to life are in here. I mean, a lot of the answers... So the questions that you and I have are in here. Now I get it. Not every single answer you've ever thought of is going to be found in here. But there are a lot of great answers in here. But to find them, you need to look for them. You need to spend time in it. One of the fascinating questions was this. When it comes to sharing my faith and I tell somebody that I read the Bible, they ask me this and I have also discovered this. The God of the Old Testament is mean. The God of the New Testament seems nice. Now, I've heard that, and I get where they're coming from in some context. But if you spend some time in the Word of God, just spend some time in the Psalms. It's only one book in the middle of the whole thing. God, you are slow to anger and gracious in love. God, you cast every sin far away as the East is from the West. How far is that? Never to be remembered anymore. God, in Joel chapter 2, you are slow to anger and gracious in love. He makes my sins, even though they were red as scarlet. He takes them away and they become white as snow. Now does that sound like a mean God? Does that sound like a mean God in the Old Testament? I'm not saying anything negative about that question because I understand it. It's an honest, legitimate question. But if you spend time in the Word of God, if you spend time in the Word of God, you're going to find out that this God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, that Jesus reveals the God of the Old Testament himself is the same God who loves you and I like crazy, who is compassionate and tender and gracious, who doesn't give you and I what we deserve. Which is zaps out of life. He gives us His grace. He gives us His love. He gives us His mercy. He sends us His Son. And when you look at the Word of God, spend time in the Word of God, you'll see there are so many wonderful things about the Word of God that He teaches us. Second thing He uses is people, He uses people, relationships. We learn from one another. We grow in relationships with one another. We grow and develop as we get into relationships with one another. The more you get around other Christians, the more spiritually mature you're going to become. God uses people (coughs) to help you and I grow, which is why you need to be in relationships. We use the connect card so that we can connect you to the church, which is a great thing. But one of the things we want you to do is connect with other people. No such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Get into a small group. I've been blessed. I can't even tell you how blessed I've been in the four small groups that I've had the privilege of being in in the last just the last five or six years. And it's odd. It's odd for them to be in a small group with the lead pastor. How awkward is that? All right? I don't have to feel like I have to be anybody, I can just be Denny. And I love the fact that they allow me to do that. I know it scares them sometimes and has scared them sometimes. But it's an opportunity to be in relationships where we learn from one another, we develop from one another. Find somebody, let me me say this as lovingly as I know how. Don't just be in a Bible study, do a Bible study, and lead a Bible study. Don't just always be in a Bible study. Bible studies are wonderful. But there's got to come at a point in your spiritual journey where you're leading And pouring your life into somebody, not just receiving. So if you've always been in a Bible study and have never led one, even if it's with one person, you need to flip that around. As wonderful as Bible studies are. Don't always be in one, lead one. I should have put that in your notes. Because that's really critical for your spiritual development. Every Sunday school teacher I've ever met, every small group leader I've ever met, every worker in children's department I've ever met said, you cannot believe the things that I've learned by my willingness to teach that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. Thirdly, God also uses difficulty. And I wish he'd have let that one out. In all things, God works for good. In Romans eight 28, we've all memorized that verse, for good to those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose, and his purpose is for us to mature. God works all things for good to make us like Jesus. Bad things, painful things, difficult things. Doesn't say all things are good. One of the questions that we were asked a couple of weeks ago, actually, there was a whole page of questions about evil in the world and how difficult it is and want to share our faith and how to do that. There are answers in the word of God to that question. Life is filled with evil doesn't say that all things are good because there's a lot of evil in the world, but all things ber- can be used by God to make me lo- more like Christ. My heart has to be willing to do that because otherwise it's going to get bitter the longer I look at the difficulties of life rather than better because God often uses, number three, trouble to teach us to trust in him. In the Bible, the word trouble is often used as trials, difficulty, trials, or situations designed by God to draw us closer to him, not push us away from him. What you and I have to decide in the middle of that difficulty or in the middle of that trial, is it drawing me closer or do I find myself pushing God away? Because it's designed by God. He allows it to happen. There's not a thing that happens to you and I that doesn't sit through the hands of the Father. And they're designed by God to help us to grow and mature so that I can come to the point where I trust in him no matter what. My wife keeps saying all the time, I get life as a learning lesson. I just wish I had recess more often. I remember in school you couldn't wait for recess. I get it. I'm going to learn from life. But I just want recess every once in a while. I argued with God, to be honest with you, for almost a whole evening over this one. I'd rather just talk about Bible studies and the word of God and relationships than trouble and difficulty. Especially in the context my wife, obviously having surgery this Friday. We found out a week ago my daughter, my oldest daughter has a a spot of cancer that she's facing that she has to have surgery. Her father-in-law is going through really deep waters with cancer surgery. Didn't tell you this last Sunday but on Tuesday I had to have a stress test. I don't know what stress I would ever have had in my life but uh, my regular appointee said I need to take you through a stress test and I'm going I'm going to fail this thing. I just know that. I passed. I was shocked. (laughs) I was shocked. But I'm just telling you. So when I look But there's only four of us in my family. (laughs) And my youngest daughter is going, okay, dad's going through all these tests, mom has surgery next week, and now we find out that Aaron has a a spot of cancer that needs to be removed in two weeks. But I'm telling you, as much as I wanted to take it out, a lot of things that God allows in our lives are there to stretch us, to cause us to grow, and they are the cause of, of all the spiritual enrichment and development in our lives if we allow God to do that. When I watch my wife lose her mom, lose her dad, lose her brother, I'm just fascinated by her response to the confidence of God and her confidence in God that never changes and never wavers. God wants to build character in our lives, and sometimes he does that through some of the difficulties of life. Romans chapter 5, trouble produces patience, patience produces character, and character produces hope, and I wish he would do it another way. (laughs) But that's what he says it takes to do that sometimes. God is far more interested in what we are than what we do. You know that? God is far more interested in what we are than what we do. When we have bad weather, which we're really blessed this year. We've hardly had any. I feel bad for those of you who plow snow for a living. I'm not disappointed at all. But I know some of you are but every once in a while we have those horrific mornings where you just don't know what it's going to be like. And every time we get one of those, I text all of our staff and I say, Look, I want you to be very careful this morning because who you are is way more important than what you do at CAC. So be careful. God is always more interested in our character than our career. You and I aren't taking our career to heaven. I'm not getting to heaven and God says, Bam, what there's a preacher over there. Let him hey, move the crowd over. There's a preacher there. Let him in. Billy Graham doesn't get in any faster than anybody else. He got there earlier than a lot of other people, but he doesn't get there faster because of what he does. Our careers aren't in heaven. We're taking our character to heaven. That's what's going to last. The goal of life is not comfort. Until we understand that, life's not going to make sense. All kinds of problems are going to come into our life. Trials and troubles and difficulties. And then we're every once in a while going to say, Lord, I don't like I'll be honest with you, God, I don't like it. All kinds of examples of that in the Old Testament is fine. My wife, I did a David prayer tonight. I know exactly what that means. I said, really? Why? I this now? That's okay. It's okay to do that. It's okay to say, God, I don't like this. I'm not crazy about it. But the goal of life is not comfort. This is not a place of comfort. This is the place of character development. And one of the things God uses is difficulty and trouble because trouble produces patience, patience, character, and character hope. Every single problem in your life and mine has a purpose. Doesn't matter whether I caused it, somebody else caused it, the devil caused it. Every problem has a purpose to make me more like Christ, to build character in my life. Jesus had trouble. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane (coughs) the night before he went to the cross and took his friends with him, which is why you shouldn't go through difficulty alone, which is why you need relationships, and just cried. I mean, it said he cried so hard in one passage that tears of blood dripped down from his face. He came to a point of saying, God, can I ask you a question is there any other way possible to redeem humanity than what I'm going to face in the next 72 hours? And you just got to wonder if all of heaven went, what? You planned this. You offered yourself for that. What? You never see that in scripture, but we sometimes read scripture without imagination. But he said, "I'm nevertheless, not my will, thine be done." And walk right through it all. If we're going to become like Jesus, we've got to understand that life sometimes is difficult and difficulty develops our spiritual c- context in ways that sometimes no other thing will. It's okay to say, God, I don't like this. I wish you were to take it away. Paul, three times in 1 Corinthians 12, if it's not in your notes, write it down somewhere, three times said, God, I don't, would you please take this away? God answers him and says, in Your difficulty, I will supply grace. And I've often wondered if Paul said, I didn't ask for grace, I asked for this to go away. God said, but in that difficulty, my grace will be sufficient, more than sufficient, to carry you through. Jesus understands our difficulty. When he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples on two different occasions that are recorded in Scripture John says, if I were to tell you everything, one little verse in the book of John at the very end, he said, if I were to tell you everything that Jesus did, the libraries of the world couldn't contain it. I mean, you can imagine what that's going to be like someday when we get to read all of that. So Jesus shows up, shows himself alive to the disciples, and Thomas said, look, unless I see his hands and feel his side, I'm not going to buy that. I, I just don't believe it. And we've called him doubting Thomas for the last 2,020 years. And I think that's an underrated statement for him. He really just wanted what the other disciples already had, to see him physically. And so a week later, Jesus shows up, shows him his hands and his side. Here, here's the scars in my hand, still there from the cross. Here's the wound in my side, still there from the cross. And Thomas made one of the most dramatic statements in Scripture when he said, My Lord and my God. Nobody up until that point ever put those two together. My Lord, Jesus, and my God, Yahweh. Wow, this is God who, by the way, retained his wounds. This is God of the universe who went to the cross. This is the God of the universe who died on the cross. This is the God of the universe who retained his wounds. I want to follow that God because I got a God who understands me. I got a God who feels my pain. One of the most Difficult times in life is when somebody goes through such deep waters and somebody who has no idea what they're going through says, I know how you feel. (laughs) They don't. But we have a God who does. It's incredible. Who retained his wounds. Who says, I know exactly how you feel. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to be spit on, beaten, falsely accused. The list is endless. I get it. We have a God who retained his wounds. Finally this morning there's a one of the ways that God teaches us to obey him, to be honest with you, he was using temptation. Teaching us to obey him and choose correctly. I want to be really clear on the definition of temptation. There are situations designed by Satan Trying to harm us. God does not tempt us with evil. Bible is very clear about that. He never tempts. But he is able in your notes because of his power and who he is to use Satan's temptations for good in our lives. Because they will always provide for us a choice. When I choose God rather than choosing the enemy or that temptation, Satan's plan is ruined and I start to grow in my life. And all those choices are needed sometimes to grow in character. Jesus faced them. And Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, facing temptation, facing difficulty. You can't ever say, well, nobody knows how difficult it is to resist this one. Yes, they do. Scripture is very clear. Even Jesus faced it. The Scripture is extremely clear. And there's not one temptation that you'll ever face. The Satan will lie to you and said, well, I'm just telling you, nobody else has had to deal with this. Everybody has at some point or the other. He tricks us into making us think like we're alone. We're not. It's incredibly important to remember that you will also never outgrow temptation, but it's incredibly important to remember that Jesus teaches us in his experience that every one of them is a chance to make the right choice, and the choice is, I will follow you, God, no matter what's laid in front of me, or what I see, or what decisions I have to make. They are always tests as to whether or not I love God more than the temptation, Trouble and difficulty, a test of being able to say, I will trust you even though I don't like what I'm going through. Temptation is an opportunity to say, I will trust you, God, more than that temptation. Bible teaches us that Jesus said, if you really love me, you'll obey me. Two helps with temptation in your sermon notes. One, guard your mind. There's a whole series of sermons on that. I won't do today, but guard your mind. Because I'm telling you, once you see that, once you go down that track, once you see that visual thing, it is incredibly difficult to stop it. (coughs) That's why Paul said, take every thought cap, every every thought, yep. Because once that train starts going down that track, man, it'll, it'll start running at 100 miles an hour. Guard your mind when it comes to temptation. And secondly, guard your relationships. And there's two aspects of that. One is guard your relationships, and there's a negative side of that because Scripture is very clear. Bad company corrupts good behavior. If you were here last night, one of the things I loved about what John said is make sure your kids are around good kids because bad company corrupts good behavior, which means it is so powerful based on who you associate with. So there's a negative side of guarding your relationship. Be very careful. The majority of, the, of affairs happen within the context of known relationships. The majority of affairs in a marriage that are the most detrimental thing to a marital relationship happen within the context of known relationships, not somebody I just happen to see somewhere along the way. Guard your relationships. The other side of that is you need to be in relationships to help keep you accountable. I'm wrestling with this, I'm struggling with that. I saw them, or this happened, or somebody called me, or I did this, or I saw that, or I watched this, whatever that may be. Keep me accountable. Ask me how I'm doing. Ask me if I continue to do that. Ask me if I'm lying about whether or not I continue to do that. That's 110 years from Charles Wesley and John Wesley would ask six questions about your spiritual journey every single week. And one of the, are you in relationships? Are you in the word of God? Are you continuing to pray every day? And he had a list of questions. And then one of the, the very last question: have you lied about the first six? <laughs> so you got to have people in your life that you can be so honest with and so vulnerable with that they can hold you accountable in that process. Ephesians, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, you're better off with a friend to be alo- than to be alone. If you fall, your neighbor can help you up. We got a neighbor across the street that they're just absolutely priceless. And they've done so many things and and our our lives are crazy and hectic. and, And I text them one day and I said, there's a verse that God just showed me this morning that was in crazy. Better than a neighbor across the street than a family member far away. And I said, you are that neighbor. The closest member of my family is 20 minutes away. The rest are an hour and a half away. Some are five hours away. You are that person. You want to have those people in your life. Paul had a lot of spiritual partners. Barnabas, Mark, Apollos, Timothy, Epaphras, Titus. Talks about them all. It takes the biggest risk of any other prophet, any other speaker in the New Testament, in the end of Romans, when he actually names them. You imagine on my last Sunday if I named the people that were most influential in my life. Some of you sitting there going, didn't talk to me, didn't talk to me, didn't point me out. I mean, Paul actually named them who's been that influential in his life. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Want to be a mature follower of Christ? Then you've got to be in the Word. You have to be in the Word. You've got to be in relationships. You've got to come to the point where you trust God, even in the middle of some of the deepest waters. I love the fact, Dave and I connect, we talk, we I, you know, I, I, t- I know what songs he's going to sing. When I looked at the songs last Sunday in light of the context, when I looked at the song this morning in light of the context, I, that man is brilliant to be led by the Spirit of God that way. When you look and listen to the songs we just sang this morning in regards to the faithfulness of God in the middle of all the circumstances, do I trust Him more often than not? When temptation comes, do I see it as an opportunity to make the right choice and grow in my life? The more you choose the right thing, the easier it will get. The more you choose the right thing, I guarantee you, the easier it will get. The more you give in, the deeper in the darkness you will go and the harder it will be to get out. Let me pray for you. When I want to ask you a question. You, I prefer you keep your, your eyes closed, but you, I, I get it. It's sometimes hard to do that. How many of you right now are saying, I'm in some pretty difficult moments, and I just needed this morning to remind me to trust God even in the middle of the difficulty? But I'd love just to acknowledge by raising my hand, I need his help. Any of you? Okay. Thank you for that honesty. Any of you facing some really tough temptation and you just need to cry out to God and say, God, I need you to get me out of this. I need to choose right. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you are. Be honest. He already knows anyhow. Be honest. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we thank you for the power of your spirit, for the power of your word, for the power of relationships. For all the things you bring in and out of our lives as a master weaver to be able to help us become who you want us to be, which is mature followers and imitators of Jesus, which is what a Christian is. It's not a tag. It's not a theological term. It's one like Christ. And so, Father, we never want to use that term lightly. We never want to use it flippantly. We want to just simply say, I am a Christian, which means I'm wanting to be like Christ. So for those that are really wrestling with some deep waters and are trying to get through it, continue to keep them faithful and consistent and learning from you. Help them through it and help them out the other side so that they can continue to grow in their relationship with you. And those few that are facing temptation this morning, Father, give them the courage, the confidence in you to say no. I'm not going down that path. And for those who really don't even know where to turn, may today be the day where they say, I want Jesus in my life. Because this world is so crazy and I'm not sure where it's going to go and I don't want to face it alone. I want to face it with Christ. May today be the day they embrace you as Savior. In the name of Christ we pray. If you're one of the, any one of those, any one of those in those categories, you'd love some of us to pray for you. There are people all of this auditorium that will pray for you this morning. Please come this way. Family experience is ten minutes from now, kindergarten to fifth grade. Obviously get your kids and go there because you learn some of the things they're going to share with us th- this month. But we would love to pray with you in the middle of some of the issues of life that we just talked about this morning. Next Sunday morning, now what? What's next in my spiritual journey? Now what? Joe's going to tell you. God bless you. Have a great day.